Genesis 33 is where we are. If you're not already there, go ahead and turn there. Genesis 33. And yeah, last week, it's kind of weird sitting down doing this, by the way, just so y'all know. So if I get awkward. comfortable, isn't it? Yeah, well, I like to stand. But uh, last week in Genesis 32, we saw Jacob. Um, his covenant with Laban is in the rearview mirror now. Um, and he has set his face toward Canaan. He's coming south out of Paddan Aram, out of Haran to to Canaan. God has told him to do this. He has the promise of God with him. Um, angels have been sent to reinforce him, to to, to comfort him. You, you remember he said last week, this is God's camp. When he saw the angels, he named that place Mahanaim, which means two camps. So he has his men and angels fighting for him. And that was important because if he's going back to Canaan, there's a very good chance he's going to run into his brother Esau. Of course, the last time he saw his brother Esau was 20 years prior. Esau wanted to kill him uh, because Jacob had taken the birthright and the blessing. So when he's going back down to Canaan, he has to be wondering, if I run into my brother, what's going to happen? How is Esau going to react? And what am I going to do about it? And we began to see some of that last week. He's decided he's going to divide his camp into two, which is a wise thing to do because if Esau attacks one camp, he can uh, have the other one get away. But in the midst of all of that, there's this moment where Jacob is left alone and he wrestles with a man. And we took a good look at that last week. That man was God. That man was the, the pre-incarnate Christ, as I understand it, the second person of the Trinity. And he would not let the man go as dawn approached so what did god do god weakened his uh, he weakened jacob he separated his his hip and thigh um dislocated it and so jacob was weakened he submitted and he was blessed and that's what we saw we saw that submission to the lord is where true blessing is found it's when we know that we are weak when is when christ strengthens us uh, for his Strength is perfected in our weakness, says Paul in Second Corinthians 12. Well, out of that, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Uh, we, we're used to saying Israel, so if I, I, but Israel is kind of how you is a, a better anyway. Doesn't matter. He who strives with God is what it means. You know how I am. I Somebody get, speaks is, uh, Hebrew. It, it sounds closer to Israel than Israel. So, but it yeah. <laughs> God knows what we're talking about, y'all, okay? Um, Jesus wasn't called Jesus. <laughs> um, he was called Yeshua, uh, but uh, or Jesus in Greek. Oh, my gosh. I know. Just just, just punch me. Just punch me, honey. I can't, I can't help myself. Can we just get to the verse and move on? You just want to get out of here. Um, no, I'm just going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> Way's getting Spanish on us here. All right. Uh, for those of you listening to this recording, Josh you're welcome. Uh, anyway, no. all right. So uh, Jacob, what does he name? He names it Peniel, the face of God, because because why? He saw God face to face and was preserved, is what he said. So that state sets the stage for what we're going to read now, which is all of chapter 33. But it's a, it's relatively short in the grand scheme of things. Twenty verses. So let's read that and let's see what happens when they, Jacob and Esau finally do reconnect. Then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming. 
and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. He lifted his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids came near with their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise came near with her children, and they bowed down. And afterward Joseph came near with Rachel, and they bowed down. And he said, What do you mean by all the company which I have met? And he said, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. Jacob said, No, please, if now I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand, for I see your face as one sees the face of God, and you have received me favorably. Please take my gift which has been brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have plenty. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us take our journey and go, and I will go before you. But he said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care to me. And if they are driven hard one day, all the flocks will die. Please let my Lord pass on before his servant, and I will proceed at my leisure, according to the pace of the cattle that are before me, and according to the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord at Seir. Esau said, Please let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built for himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore the place is named Succoth. Now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Paddan Aram and camped before the city. He bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for one hundred pieces of money. Then he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. So, 20 verses there. And, and it's in a pretty important development in Jacob's life. Um, he's growing in grace. He's maturing in the Lord. He's not a young man anymore. He's a, he's a pretty old guy now. Uh, comparatively speaking. And God is bringing his word to pass in Jacob's life right before his eyes. Uh, But Jacob's not perfect in this chapter. We're going to see that. If you can't see it already, we're going to see that. One of the observations I've made about Jacob, though, as we've progressed through Genesis, is that in the beginning, when we read about Jacob, you know, Genesis 25 is kind of where his story picks up. What is clear there is that he's God's choice and that he's called a complete man. So those things are said about him, but the majority of the things we read about Jacob in the the early portions of what we do read about him is he makes a lot of mistakes. While he trusts in the Lord, while he's a real believer in the Lord, um, he's faithless, he's deceiving, he's capitulating. and you know, you've got the whole thing with all the wives and 
we've been through that over the past several weeks. But the further, excuse me, the further we get in Genesis, you know, we still see Jacob's faults, but it's like the ratio is reversing. You know, um, the the older he gets, the more mature in in the Lord it seems, the more faithful he appears. Um, he's not all the way there. He still very much falls short of the glory of God. But you know, one of my favorite verses. I've I got this on the every email I send has Second Peter three eighteen on it, which says, "But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." And that's kind of what we see from Jacob. This this one who he just wrestled. He's growing in the grace and knowledge of him. Um, and in Genesis thirty three, we see more of that. Uh, Jacob is growing in sanctification, holiness. He's growing in the Lord. He's growing in faithfulness. But not everything he does reflects that. He still has these moments. And so as the Lord departs from this night of, of wrestling, um, and now Jacob is is going to walk with a limp, presumably for the rest of his life, uh, the text gives us the impression that Jacob immediately sees Esau coming. You see... Right as uh, chapter 33 picks up, Then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. Um, If we remember from chapter 32 last week, we saw Jacob had sent messengers toward Seir, where Esau was coming from, and they had come back with this news. and, And then Jacob had sent these droves of animals as gifts. So they know one another is near. And Jacob is sending all these animals, over 500 animals, to kind of uh, pave the way for some peace. He wants to be at peace with his brother. Still, um, even having the promise of God with him, even seeing these angels, um, he does something that you could interpret in one of two different ways. Well, you, I'm, they're fine. They're fine. Um, it's the way he divides his wives and children. Um, we see it in verse 2 he puts the maids Zilpah and Bilhah he puts them and their children up front and then Leah and her children are are next in line and then Rachel and Joseph Benjamin hasn't been born yet Rachel and Joseph are last and so the question is why does he arrange them this way one explanation um, which is the one that doesn't reflect so negatively is that he arranges them in the order that Esau he wants Esau to meet them. We know that he pri- he prized Rachel above all of his other uh, wives, and so it goes to follow that Joseph would be his favorite son because he came from Rachel's womb. Uh, so they would be last. He's like saving his best for last, and Leah is the next best. So that's one way to look at it, and that's that's one way to to, to see it. Of course, uh, when you play favorites like that, it never works out well, and it, his his preference for Joseph is going to end up causing a lot of problems here in a few chapters. But uh, if Esau came with hostile intentions, uh, the other way to look at it is I'm more willing to sacrifice the maids than I am Rachel, which yeah. which is uh, a kind of a morbid way to look at it, but it's a possibility here. There could be truth in both of those explanations. In fact... That's kind of the way I look at it. That there's probably a little bit of both. If it works out well, then I'm saving the best for last to meet him. If it doesn't work out well, well, I'm saving the best for last to not get 
hurt or worse. But what does seem clear is there's a little bit of doing this out of fear. And uh, he knows his descendants will have descendants, so this is kind of a faithless act to to act out of fear. Um, he might be growing in grace, but, but it's just a reminder that no matter how close you get to the Lord Jesus, how, no matter how long you've known the Lord or, or, or how much you grow in the Lord, while you're still here, you're still in the flesh. And you're still going to struggle with sin. And, and it just goes to show that although Jacob had just minutes before maybe been wrestling with God, he's still struggling with his own sins. And one of those is fear of his brother. Um instead of letting his faith inform his actions. And it's like that for us too. I mean, again, no matter how long we've known the Lord, rather it's been for just a few years or rather it's been for a few decades, um, we, we are all growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ until we see him face to face, until we are as he is. Um, and, and that doesn't give us an excuse to sin and it doesn't give us an out when trouble comes to make decisions based on fear uh, and not by faith, but it does show us that we are always dependent upon God. We've never arrived until we've actually arrived in the presence of God. Um, and that that's what we see in Jacob here. We see that we've got to trust God no matter what, no matter what the circumstances are, regardless of the earthly cost, too. Um, Jacob should have trusted the Lord to protect him and his family in this encounter with Esau, regardless of the earthly cost because you know God had made him promises um, now to be fair it does get better for Jacob as this chapter goes on verse 3 he passes on ahead of his family so he's taking a leadership role there good for him that's the right thing to do and he bows to the ground seven times the closer he gets to his brother now that remind and and I may have shared this illustration before. And I think I have shared it either on a Sunday or a Wednesday, but it reminds me of this mini series based on the the life of John Adams. Um, after we won the war, well, when when the Revolutionary War was won, John Adams was based in France as a diplomat. This was years after the Declaration of Independence was signed. Uh, but then after we became a country, he got sent by Congress to England to be our first ambassador to Great Britain. Imagine being the first ambassador of your country in its history to the country you just beat to gain independence. This was a monumental appointment for John Adams. Um, and, and so there's this scene where he's going to be in front of King George III from the, for, for the first time, and he's getting these diplomatic pointers on how to approach him the right way. And, and it's kind of surreal because he comes in, it, it'd be comes in there he bows and then he walks a little bit and he bows and then he, he comes in a third time right before he gets to the king he bows down again and, and so even though John Adams was the representative uh, of a nation that had just defeated this king in war Adams place was to come humbly before this king uh, in this capacity and it's not altogether different from what we see in Jacob here because Jacob has won yeah, in the sense that, that he's the one who has the birthright. He's the one who has the blessings. Uh, and even more so, God chose him before he and his brother were even born. God made it clear to, to, to his mother, 
that he was he's the son of the covenant promise. And so God has been with him this whole time. God has blessed him with Laban. He's encountered God on more than one occasion. In fact, just the night before, he's encountered God. Just minutes before, he's encountered God. Um, But with consideration to the hostilities Jacob had had with Esau, he is coming very humbly to his brother. Um, he, He bows down seven times. He recognizes that even though God chose him, even though Esau is the one who forfeited his birthright and the blessing really didn't belong to Esau in the first place because God had already said who was getting it Um, he wants to make things right with his brother and he's now in a territory where Esau's pretty much the man in charge and so just as John Adams got a favorable response from King George III in that scene uh, Jacob gets a favorable response from Esau what do we see here? we see that any lingering hostility appears to be gone. Esau runs to him. Uh, Esau has has apparently come to realize that he rightly has the birthright. I sold it. He rightly has the blessing. God determined that. And and so Jacob is the one who has inherited these promises from God. And here's Jacob obviously coming humbly to him. Obviously he doesn't mean me any harm. And so Esau runs to Jacob. Uh, kind of this un, un, incredible scene. I mean, it's like Hollywood wrote this, except it's real. And and he embraces him, and he hugs him, he kisses him. They weep together. It's a it's a beautiful scene of reconciliation uh, that God can and does bring when two uh, parties that are long hostile toward one another and even suspicious and fearful of one another humble themselves and get over themselves and and, and get over the past. But it does take both parties to do it. I mean, uh, you know, Jacob could have been one, and if Esau was still at war, it would have been bad news. Or the other way around. It it took both to do it. Uh, And that's what we see in Genesis 33. Um, They weep for a bit. Uh, Esau looks up and sees the wives and children and asks who they are. Jacob then gets an, an opportunity to testify as to how God has blessed him and been faithful to him. And then notice the second half of verse 5. The children whom God has graciously given your servant. So God is the one responsible. Jacob, has, it's, it's all by God's grace. So he's acknowledging to Esau that God has given him so much more than he deserves. And that, that is what grace is. God giving us what we don't deserve. Um, and so Jacob shows him the children, the wives. Esau then says, well, what do you mean by all this company which I have met? Because you know, he's had all these servants with all these animals come to him. So what's with these animals you're sending me? Um, Jacob's you know, servants, you remember what they had told him. In 32 we saw this. These are for my Lord Esau from your servant Jacob. That's it. He instructed him specifically to, to use those words. Um, why? To find favor in the sight of my Lord is what Jacob says to Esau here. And, and, and what he wants Esau to know is that I want our relationship to be right. I want to do whatever I need to do to make it right. And so Esau says, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. 
You know, in, in all likelihood, and, and we talked a little bit about this last time, in all likelihood, Esau probably had more than Jacob at this point. You know, even though we've seen Jacob is very much blessed, um, for the past 20 years, Esau has been building his own little kingdom uh, in Seir and Edom. Um, Jacob, meanwhile, spent 14 of the past 20 years building Laban's kingdom, and only in the last six years had been building his own with the blessing of God. Um, so Esau has plenty. He's a wealthy man. He has no need of what Jacob's giving him. So he says, I have plenty. But Jacob insists. What does he say in verse was it 10? Um, yeah, if I have found favor in your sight, to then take the pre- my present from my hand, for I see your face as one sees the face of God, and you have received me favorably. So while Jacob may have rightly uh, held the birthright and the blessing, he knew that he had personally done Esau wrong. There had been deception involved, and uh, Esau's loving response to Jacob was not what Jacob deserved. Esau was showing Jacob uh, grace the same way that God had. And, And Jacob is very thankful for that. And so in that respect, he sees Esau as one sees the face of God. He's seeing the work of God in Esau and how he's treating him. So Jacob is giving uh, God's gracious provision to him, to Esau, in light of what Esau has has done in graciously forgiving him. Um, It'd be like a personal favor to Jacob for Esau to accept this, even though he didn't need to. You know, um, it reminded me, you know, it's kind of like, don't insult me, please take my gift. Um whenever I used to go to my grandmother's house. Even if I'd just eaten, she'd want to feed me something because that's what grandmothers do. And you know all about this, don't you? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, what do you do? You eat it because you want to make your grandmother happy. Uh, and that's kind of what I see here is that I don't need this, Jacob, but you really want me to have it, so I'm going to accept it. And that's what he does. Um Jacob actually says, "God has dealt verse eleven. God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have plenty." So Esau says, "I have plenty." Jacob says, "I have plenty." The thing is, and this isn't really reflected in the in the English, is that there are two different words used for plenty here. The word for for Esau <laughs> means something like "I have much" or, or "I have plenty." The word Jacob uses means "I have all." I have all. So God has dealt graciously with me and now I have everything I have all even though he may not have had as many material possessions at the time as his brother Esau what God had given him was even more than that so he's able to say I have everything God's given me everything and and uh, it, it's just a reminder you know, you know Jacob could testify to God's faithfulness as it relates to the covenant that God made his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham now it's coming to pass through him. So with God, he has everything. You know, Jacob was coming to believe what Paul would later articulate in, in Philippians 4.19, which I think is a verse I used on Sunday morning. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So just as we trust in Jesus for all of the blessings God has promised us in the new covenant, Jacob is trusting in in Yahweh 
the one he just wrestled <laughs> uh, to provide all of the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. And so we see this parallel here. So Esau accepts the gift. Then, verse 12, Esau said, and probably some time has passed here. You know, it's not like it was a hit-and-run visit. They probably spent a quality amount of time together uh, catching up. Um, no doubt Jacob had asked about his parents, Isaac and Rebekah, because there, there's little doubt Esau had seen them since Jacob had left um, the past 20 years. So he probably has asked about that. Isaac, by the way, was still alive at this point. Um, Rebecca probably was not. Um, in chapter 35, uh, we'll read about Rebecca's nurse dying without reference to Rebecca. Uh, we'll read about Isaac dying later on without reference to Rebecca. So Rebecca had probably died somewhere in this, these 20 years, um, although we can't be sure about that. Isaac, though, is still living probably in Hebron, which is a good distance south of where they were when they had this reunion. But in verse 12, um, Esau offers to go with Jacob on his journey, probably assumes that Jacob's heading down to, to where Isaac is. But Jacob declines. Why does he decline? Well, one reason that he gives, uh, he gives one reason, and then there's probably another reason that he doesn't expound on. But the reason he gives is a really uh, is a practical reason. The children are frail. The flocks have been, you know, think about how hard they they'd probably gone to get away from Laban and Laban had still caught up with them and and now it's time to you know now that there's no fear of anyone they can take their foot off the gas so to speak they can they can kind of chill out for a while and go at a in fact what does Jacob say at my leisure let my lord pass before his servant and I will proceed at my leisure so he wants to slow down in fact he he's going to slow down we're going to see so uh, it's not going to be wise to travel together because J uh, Esau would, would and his men would want to go probably at a faster pace. And so he says, you know, I will uh, come to my Lord at Seir. So Esau is going to go home, and the thought is that Jacob will go and, and visit him there sometime. Another reason he doesn't go with Esau that's probably not spoken has to do with the fact that Jacob knows he has to remain independent of Esau. There, there hasn't just been this separation over the 20 years, but there's been this separation from birth that God decreed. And the blessing comes through Jacob and not Esau. So God has specific plans for him and for his children, and they are two different kinds of people. They have two different ways of life. They see the world differently. So it's probably best not to be intertwined permanently. So Esau goes. He offers some of his own men to stay with Jacob, maybe out of concern for Jacob saying all these things thing, about the children being frail and stuff. But Jacob declines that as well. So Esau goes back to Seir. Verse 17 tells us Jacob journeyed to Succoth, meaning booths. We see he built for himself a house and made booths for his livestock Therefore, the place is named Succoth. So it probably wasn't named Succoth. It probably took on that name after this this incident. Um, Succoth, if you were to look in the back of your Bible, if you have maps there, you'd see that it's on the eastern side of the Jordan River. It's about halfway between the Sea of Galilee to the north and the Dead Sea to the south. 
um, and it's right by where the the Jabbok is, which is that little tributary where they crossed over, where Jacob wrestled the Lord uh, back in 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 thirty two. But it appears that Jacob stayed there at Succoth for a while. Then eventually they did cross the Jordan, and, and in these last three verses, they settle safely in the city of Shechem. Now that's important because it's when they cross over the Jordan is when they enter into Canaan. And so it's important that's an important detail. It's not just a geographical detail, but what it's telling us is God has kept his promise to Jacob because now he's back in the land. Now he's back in the promised land. Um it probably wasn't called Shechem at the time either. It probably took on that name later because uh, of what we read in verse 19 that he's going to buy land from the hands of the sons of Hamor Shechem's father Uh, so the land probably took on that name because of of that individual named Shechem who's going to play a bigger role in chapter 34 Um, I should note if you've got a KJV you see it says that that Jacob came to Shalom a city of Shechem Shalom sounds like Shalom um, and, and that is the the word uh, meaning peace. Uh, my translation says now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, or he came in peace to the city of Shechem, and that's probably how it should be used there. Just to, if you're reading that and you clear it up, but uh, it's a statement him coming safely, coming in peace. It's a statement of God's faithfulness, because in Genesis twenty eight fifteen. In that dream, God said, you will come back here. Genesis 31, where God appeared to Jacob and said, it's time to go home to Canaan. You're going to make it. I'm I'm saying it's time for you to go. So here is this this statement, and again, it's a small little detail there, but what it tells us is that God's faithful. He kept his promise. Uh, And that's just the theme that we keep seeing throughout Genesis. God makes promises, and God's keeping those promises, whether it be to Abraham or to Isaac or to Jacob, and later we're going to see to his sons. He kept his word, um, which has all kinds of application for us today. We can believe that God keeps his word, and it ought to inform how we live our lives. Um, verse 20, Jacob erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Um and so I'll just make a couple notes about that before we wrap up. First, Jacob is back in Canaan, and he kind of makes this area near Shechem his, his call it his capital, his first capital. We know he had flocks there. He dug a well there. Now, we don't know he dug a well there because of what Genesis tells us. Uh, we can infer he dug a well there if he settled there because he would want an independent source of water. But... Uh, the well is actually mentioned in the book of John. So it's a book written 2,000 years later. In John 4, 6, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman, and where does he meet her? At the well. Uh, and it's that well. It's called Jacob's Well. It's near Mount Gerizim where the Samaritans worshipped. And they probably chose that place to worship because it was Jacob's well. The Samaritans, one of the distinguishing things about them 
when we get into the New Testament, one of the things that separates them from the Jews is that they only believe the first five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Old Testament, the the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy. They only believe that is the Word of God. And so they're not going to go worship somewhere based on what the Jews believe about David or whatever. They're going to go based on what uh, he, someone like Jacob. And so that's probably why they worshiped there. Um, they were in error, obviously, but just a little note to, to tie in Scripture with Scripture. But the more significant thing I want to say about this is the name of the altar he gave. El Elohe Israel means God, the God of Israel. Now, why is that significant? Because it's just in the last chapter that God renamed Jacob Israel. And now that he's in the promised land, this is the first time Jacob himself is documented as using this new name. He has striven with God. Now he has prevailed by God's grace. Now he is back in the land. Um, In fact, uh, Joseph is later going to be buried at this spot. So this is an important moment in Jacob's life. It's a moment where, where he again sees that all of God's promises are coming true right before his eyes. Uh, he has descendants. He's definitely been blessed. And now he's back in the land. And aren't those the three things we keep seeing from the Abrahamic covenant? Um, and now, by the way, he's also safely reconciled with Esau. So uh, a big bonus there for him. Um, trouble's not over. The next chapter is one of the most uncomfortable for any preacher to preach on, but we'll have to get on that in a couple weeks. Uh, you can read ahead and see easily why that will be the case. But um, God brought Jacob from the depths of deceit and shame to a place where his faithfulness was abundantly clear. And the big takeaway for us tonight is that God has promised us all kinds of blessings in Christ that we know we will celebrate eternally. Uh, you know, uh, we we sing songs about eternity. You know, this Sunday, the choir is going to sing. What are we singing? When, uh, what a day that'll be! What a day that'll be! Right? Levine is the one that's supposed to remember it, right? Um, what a day that will be! So we we have all kind. Why do we sing that? Because we have all kinds of promises that God's made to us about eternity. We have no guarantees about physical and material blessings in this life, despite what some preachers will try to say but uh, we do see those kind of blessings shown to Jacob as a testimony of God's grace and a testimony of God's faithfulness Um, and so the lesson we learn in Jacob continually is that God's faithful to us and if God's faithful to us we have all the reason in the world to be faithful to him even when it doesn't make sense earthly speaking even when it, it makes us opposed by men or thought to be crazy by other people. Even when it will cause disruption in, in relationships. We've got to be faithful. Always. Um, because he's always faithful to us. Let's pray and uh, then we can dismiss. Father, thank you for this day. And we just pray, Father, that by your grace we might be found faithful as you are faithful to us. Uh, We thank you for what we read about the the life of Jacob and how it doesn't just show us how you were working through history to, 
to eventually bring a Messiah into the world and keep your covenant. But we see in Jacob some practical lessons for how we must conduct ourselves if we want to honor and serve you. And you are worthy of that because of uh, just who you are and, and how great you've been to us. So I pray, Father, that by your grace again, that we might be found faithful and that we might be found pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.